Let's open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4, and we're going to dive into uh, the passages here in verses 12 through 13. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. Everybody say, it's good to be alive. <laughs> For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We're going to break down this passage in Scripture today. But my, my heart here, what I feel very much led to do, uh, as God has really placed it on me, is to speak and, and really establish for all of us the significance and the importance of having a, a, a life where we're steadily feasting on and craving this word of God, right? These holy scriptures that are inspired by God himself that he gave us to be able to know him, to be able to learn about him, to be able to come into more of a relationship with him, to grow in our faith, to walk in more authority and victory, that this word of God has been given to us for those reasons and that it is something that we uh, should be in a, just a lifestyle of regularly feasting upon. And so starting in the beginning there of what I read, the word of God is living and powerful. So of course, when we say living, I think many people understand uh, what the significance of that is, that the Bible is the only book in which we could say this about on the face of the planet, that it is a living word, that any other document or text that you would open up, it's, it's substance, right? But it doesn't have life flowing through it. But the Bible actually has God's life flowing through it. When we read it, when we open it up and we dive into it, the, the very life of God is flowing out of that and into our spirit. We know this because, first of all, it says it right here, for the word of God is living Right and powerful, and when you study that word living in the Greek, it means to be alive, to have life flowing through it. And we also know that when Jesus spoke in John chapter 6, he was speaking to the disciples, he said, my words are what? They are spirit and they are life. And so the very words that are coming forth from God, they have life in them. They have the ability to bring life as they reveal God's saving grace to his children that have not yet come to know him. They are given new life, right, through being reborn. And they all, and Jesus said, I've come to give you life and that you may have it more abundantly. And so as we continue to, to stay engulfed in the these scriptures and in this word of God that the abundance of life is just almost like the tide is rising on a continual basis as that life is steadily flowing into us as God's children. So the word of God is alive, but it's also powerful. It's powerful. Now, this one is very interesting because when you read this in the you study, this in the Greek, the word powerful is actually a word that is known as it's called energis, energis, 
which is actually, it means to be operative or at work on a regular basis. And so this is very powerful to me when I see what, what this is saying about the word of God, that it's not only living, but it's powerful or it's operative in our lives, meaning that it's, it's to be used by God in such a way that's to consistently, as we are subject to the infilling of this word, that it's to be used to consistently sort of keep us under the operating table of our holy God. That this word, as we read the truth in it, and as we uncover more of God and who he is in his character and his nature, that he is actually able to perform a, like an operation would be on us, spiritually speaking. Very, very powerful stuff. And so I would just pose this question as I get into the, the depths of the message today. And is... Are we, are we steadily in a place where we're under God's operating table, if you will, of his word? Or are we kind of like me, the way I view the doctor is, I, I kind of go for a routine checkup every now and then just to make sure nothing is jumping off of the charts and anytime maybe I really uh, feel that I need to get something checked out, something might be wrong, that's whenever I go to the doctor. I think the last time I've actually been, honestly, I got poison ivy like really, really bad. And so I had to go and get a cortisone shot. And then, of course, she's like, oh, it's been a long time, Mr. Hex, since you've been in here. I see it's been about two years, you know. And so that's kind of how I'm presenting the question when it comes to the word in our lives, uh, being able to be God to be operative in our lives through the word. Is it something that we would really say is more of a routine examination that we subject ourselves to it when something there might be symptoms of something possibly going wrong in our lives? And so we allow ourselves to be operated on. Or is this something that as the as God intends it to be, it's steadily operative on a daily, on a regular basis in our lives as we're allowing God to use that to do a work in us and through us. So he goes on to say from here that the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. And I love this because if you think about the idea of a two-edged sword, it almost gives you the picture of like a surgical instrument, right? A surgical instrument that is precision fixed into where it goes in and it makes precision cuts it makes precision incisions that sounded funny precision incisions in places where it's exactly needed to either cut away things or remove things or open up and make way for something else to be planted in there perfectly and rightly right it's sharper than a two-edged sword it separates out what doesn't need to be there and makes room for the things that do another thing about a two-edged sword if you study that in terms of like battle is going into battle with a two-edged sword presents a great advantage because it doesn't matter at what direction or what position 
a warrior would find themselves in, they could swing that sword, they could wield that sword from any angle, and both edges were precisely sharp, and they could devour or they could, you know, strike a blow to their enemy. Whereas if some swords, they have more of a flat backing, and, and they have to be swung one way. And so a warrior would have to reposition themselves quite possibly in order to wield that sword. What I get from this is that the Word of God is applicable and appropriate at any moment, at any angle, or at any position that you may find yourself in in your life. You could go and you could look at the position of maybe in your relationships or in your marriage or in your career or in your daily walk or in the difficulties that you find yourself in battling for patience or anything that you might find yourself in we'll call as a position or an angle that you're walking through that that two-edged sword is going to be effective it's going to be accurate and it will be able to deliver precisely the blow that's needed to do the harm to the enemy in your life that he is threatening to do again you at those moments in time it's sharper than a two-edged sword he goes on to say from there that it pierces to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and if you look at how joints and marrow and bone matter all sort of come together if you cut through there it it's really almost like there's not a distinct dividing line it's like the bone just gets softer and softer until eventually it just kind of turns into marrow. And so the idea is, is that there is not a real sense of clarity as to where that division or that change necessarily takes place. And there's a lot of situations in our lives that we face. There's a lot of things that we come in contact with that the bottom line is, is that they can just be a little bit blurry. There's truth and then there's wrong, but then there's a lot of things that you've got to really, okay, you've got to sort of work through it. You've got to battle through it. Like, wait a minute, like, this is a different situation because of certain circumstances. And I think you all know what I'm talking about. Some things just aren't cut and dry, right? And, but the word of God, when it says here that it can divide through even those things, that's what it's saying is, look, you've got something like the inspired word of God, like absolute truth, that even in the moments of blur and what would normally just be very unclear and difficult to figure out which place to go or at which spot you would stand that the word of God can come in and invade that situation and it can establish pillars of truth to which you can begin to build the rest of your view and the rest of your walking it out upon those pillars of truth because the word of God doesn't come in and bring blur it comes in and establishes certainty even in the moments of blur of the situations in our life that we're going to encounter and finally it says that it is a discerner of uh, thoughts of the heart and 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 will be able and nothing is hidden from it and so there is no place and no situation that we would ever get into when the word of God isn't penetrable and piercing to where it can just move right in and begin to establish the direction and most importantly, God's will and God's purpose for those things in our lives to which we're going to be walking through and going to be facing. You know, we, the Bible tells us 
that we're judge not lest you be judged, right? So it's, it's not up to you and I to bring judgment on other people. We know that. But we as people, we need to have some sort of higher source of judgment in order to which we can operate by. And that's what the Bible's saying here in Hebrews chapter 4. It's saying the Word of God does that, that it, it examines our heart, that it comes in and it, it even looks past the things that other people can't really look past, which are our actions and our behaviors and the things that are being maybe spoken. It gets into a deeper layer of our spirit beyond anything that, any, that anyone else could ever do. And it begins to bring, it reveals the purposes and the intents behind what we're doing or what we're thinking or how we're acting and that is so look that is so important and so powerful for you and I to constantly be on the operating table of something like that if we want the best of God in our lives we've got to be able to subject ourselves and open ourselves to something that definitive and that penetrable and piercing to where it can get in and it can say no Matt I know that it looked this way I know it kind of worked out like this and it sort of fell in place but really there was an underlying intention here there was something a little bit concerning to me that was mixed in all these other things that had to do with your inner self yeah it, it worked out good nobody got everything worked out fine all peace has been kept but there's a little area a little issue here deep within you that the, that I want to deal with and as I open up and I read the word of God and I examine the truths in here it has the ability of uncovering and examining and then bringing those things to the surface but even more importantly the follow-through of that to actually go in if I'll be humble enough to let God do that to go in and remove those things or cut away or insert certain things that can then from that point on allow me to move forward a more improved individual in the eyes of God amen amen so um, there's an interesting story back in 2nd Kings it's in chapters 22 and 23 and the king at this time, his name is Josiah. And as you know, the, the history behind you know, Israel and when the kings came in, many of the kings sort of turned away from God. They worshiped idols. They did evil things in the, in the sight of the Lord. And as a result, they've kind of turned the nation into more of an apostate uh, place, right? And so King Josiah comes along, and the Bible says that he was actually one of the great kings who restored worship back to the land whenever the other kings before him had taken the nation into a terrible place. They were, I mean, they were doing terrible things. You know, they were worshiping all kinds of false gods. They had built temples. They had built idols. Their whole society was functioning around all of these, the existence of all these other things that were not God. And so just King Josiah comes along, and he does something interesting one day. He sends the priest Hilkiah to go to the temple and to get money and resources out of what has been brought to the storehouse in order to make provision for the laborers to do the things that they need to do in the city with reconstruction and building and you know doing things to advance society, if you will. And when he sends him to go, Hilkiah, he finds something very, very interesting. 
He says here, I don't think I gave Jake this scripture, but this is verse 8 in chapter 22 of 2 Kings. Then Hilkiah the priest, the high priest, said to uh, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Now, I find this incredibly interesting. It's almost as if he was shocked and surprised that he found the word of God, the book of the law, in the temple of God. There's a lot of things that this tells us. What does this say? First of all, it tells us how crazy is it that clearly the nation had become so immune and so uh, turned away from living according to the word of God that it was actually like a shock and a surprise that the high priest of all people found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Now, that tells us a lot more about how society had got to the place that it was, where God was actually at a point where he was about to bring judgment upon the nation and he was going to deliver them into captivity. But Josiah, King Josiah, he gets a hold of this book of the law and he starts thumbing through it and reading it. And in verse 11, it says, when the king read the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes Right, which was a sign of great distress and grief. It was almost like they had been hurt. And he, and he did this because he saw, oh my gosh, this word of God, this holy thing, has been totally pushed aside in our lives, not only as individuals, but as a society, as a civilization. And we are not living in any way according to the things that this says. And our forefathers have totally defied all of this. And so it gave him a great sense of just repentance, right? Just like we do when we see the truth of the gospel. There's an act of repentance before we receive that saving grace of salvation. And he begins to preach the word and teach what's written in the scriptures to all of the people of the land for many of them, the first time that they now would have ever heard the actual truth of God. They've been living under all kinds of other perceptions, none of which have been this actual word of God that's sharper than a two-edged sword that can bring this kind of penetration and piercing and, and operation in their lives. And, and they were all just... Uh, in grief about it. And it says in chapter 23 that the king, after he preached this to the people, that they all began to make a stand and took a covenant that they were going to honor the things that were written in the book of the law. It goes on to say that God spared this generation of people. There was a time of peace. The calamity that was going to be brought was withheld and King Josiah and the people of the land lived in the favor of God during those years. Now on Unfortunately, after him, kings to come strayed back away from that. But when he read this and the people began to make a stand, they went in and they cleaned house. They destroyed all of the temples of the false gods. They burned all of the images and the idols that had been made. And they took the ashes and they scattered it on the graves of the people that had led them in the worship of idols before that. And so what does that say? The word of God 
is so powerful, it's so piercing that it can come in and it can not only transform the life of an individual, of you and I personally, but it can transform an entire society and nation because it brings truth, it brings penetration, it brings division of evil and good and the things that are the most confusing and blurry in any society's time where they find themselves in, right? As time moves on, the, the culture of societies changes. The acceptance of different kinds of evil, it, it evolves and it changes. And so different generations and different times face different kinds of evils and battles. But the word of God has the ability to come in and always bring truth and always bring division for what's right and what's wrong, no matter how blurry the landscape may be at any given time. And I find this incredibly powerful that the word of God, when it was discovered, when it was found and it was read, that an entire society was transformed and changed. And it says that Josiah, because of what he had learned, he now before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul and with all his might. Powerful. Just receiving that truth-giving nature of the word of God as it's intended to do. And, and the, the response of this man, this king, who was probably schooled in the greatest philosophies and wisdoms of the time, of the scholars-to-be and the present age, he sees this and he casts everything aside and he immediately begins to serve the Lord with all his heart, all his mind, and all his soul. And such should we be the case for us. But let me say that serving God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind is a daily cross that you have to pick up, right? And it's a daily battle that you have to continue to walk. And if you're not steadily being nurtured with this word, if it's not steadily being poured into your spirit, then the, the, the process of doing that on a regular basis becomes more and more difficult. And the distractions of life begin to overgrow the atmosphere of our lives and leave less and less time for the very thing which we need the most. I was watching uh, this hunting show not too long ago, and it's really interesting. They, they actually were following this uh, dominant buck, okay? It was on white-tailed deer. And uh, yeah, it's a good time for this story right now. You're gonna like this though, I promise. This is really good. It's very interesting. I'd never, never heard anything like this before. They, they followed this dominant buck in this area, this territory, for like a two or three week period of time. And the cameramen that were on this project, they literally lived like in the woods and in the places where this, this dominant buck was. And they were able to track his whereabouts consistently all the time through this two or three week period. Now, if you know anything about a dominant buck in the, in the whitetail uh, you know, herd, they will do anything that they have to do to push off any other bucks that come into their area to breed the does, which they've sort of claimed territory over, right? That's an interesting theory. That wouldn't go over too well for the human population, but just saying. So he claimed all of the does in this area. And so they're following him. And for this two, three week period, because he was so focused on keeping invaders out of the territory, 
that would come in and, and following the does around that were in the area, making sure he was close enough to them when that right time came and they were in heat, you know, he was ready to go. He was so focused on that that for over two weeks, he never laid down for more than like one and a half minutes at a time to rest. And he didn't eat and he didn't feed himself on a regular basis the way that obviously an animal needs to, to sustain themselves physically, right? So about, they followed him around, they did all this. In a couple weeks after that, they found this same buck dead in the woods. And they're like, this is really interesting. This is the same buck that we, that we followed for all that time during those few weeks until he was finished doing his business. So they wanted to do an autopsy. So they actually performed an autopsy on this buck. And what they found was that his body, because he had no rest, because he had no food, that his body had actually started releasing all kinds of toxins into his system, and he died from just failure within. Because he didn't have the things that he needed the most to continue to move forward and survive. And so, listen, just like the society in the time of King Josiah, things can just start to mount up and pile up and grow up in our lives and want to dominate more and more and more of the time that we have available. And it can do that in such a way that it pushes out this time that we spend with God of, of seeking him through his word and allowing this word to be operable in our lives at all given times to where it's all so infrequent that it's like a routine checkup. And the very thing that we need the most to continue spiritually in this life, to be strong and full of faith, we continue to let it become less and less and less of our daily routine. Right? And that's exactly what happened in society. And it got so bad that they forgot what it even was. And when they found it in the temple of God, they were surprised like it was some new discovery. Wow, let that never be the case for you and I that we come to the word of God at a time that's been so far, it's been so long ago that it's almost like a new discovery that has become so dormant in our lives we almost forgot about it. Let that never be the case, right? The book of the law was lost away. You know, uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, he said, uh, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Right? And Jesus, I mean, he was quoting something that was actually said to Moses back in Deuteronomy here, but he was bringing it back into play, and he was saying, listen, Okay, you need physical food for physical sustenance. That's the way God made you. You need nutrients and you need those things to keep you going. And you need the right things in order to keep you going, right? We can eat food, but we can eat the wrong kinds of food. And then all of a sudden we can become iron deficient. Our, our immune system can suffer because we don't have enough uh, vitamin C. Our joints can ache because we don't have enough glucosamine. I mean, I could go on and on and on, right? You can eat but eat all of the wrong things and maybe you'll stay alive, but the actual quality of your life will continue to deteriorate because the things that you need the most could be lacking. 
Thankfully, the word of God is like a full dose of 100% potency in every form of spiritual sustenance that we need so that when we go to it and we take it in, that this thing is bringing all of the, the sense of unconditional love. It's bringing a sense of peace. It's bringing the sense of everything that we need on a balance, in a balanced way into our lives. The key is that we have to take it in in a consistent enough way to stay supplied with that. It's our spiritual sustenance. That's what Jesus was saying right here, right? Turn to your neighbor and say, you're looking a little pinkish today. I think you need a dose of Proverbs. I think you might need a little shot of the book of James, the conduct of your speech, right? Maybe the book of Romans. Look, it's true. I mean, I'm just trying, I'm trying to bring some, some practical examples into play so we can grasp this, but it's really true, right? You need, the, the book, the word of God brings the truths and the things that we need in the most inner parts of the lives that we live. Nothing else can do that. Nothing else can attack and penetrate every different part of our multifaceted lives, God created us as multifaceted people. We live in a lot of different ways, a lot of different relationships, a lot of different things. And the wisdom of God, the Bible says, is manifold, meaning it is also multifaceted. And so it brings that spiritual sustenance that we need to be able to strengthen us and fortify us and prepare us to be able to not just walk through life in a deteriorating sense and we're getting by, but we're it. it less than optimal health, it's designed to flow into us to nourish us in such a way that we're almost always like that vibrant, young, 34-year-old that we need to be, right? I'm 34, if you didn't catch that, but that's the idea is it is designed to bring, so we're always living in that optimal way. And we know, look, I would just say, wherever you're at, dive into this word, you read long enough and you read deep enough, you're going to find your answers for whatever you're going through. I've just never had a situation where I didn't need God and I didn't seek him out. And I don't know what, at some point, where this word opened itself up to me. And I mean the kind of truth that's supernatural, that was beyond and above and, and more penetrating than anything else I've ever seen comes into play and begins to give me peace and strength to be able to walk through the situation that's ahead. It may not answer every little specific question that you have, but it will most certainly bring enough pillar of truth in your life that you know now you can begin to move forward and that you have a sense of what God's will is and how God would have you to walk this thing out. It's why, it's why God said to Joshua whenever he took over after Moses in Joshua chapter one, verse eight, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night and observe according to what is written in there and there shall not make and it will make their way prosperous and thou shall have success. Meditate on that word day and night. There is no amount of time that is too much to be able to receive that spiritual sustenance that we need to be able to prepare us to keep moving forward in this life that God has for us. It's the daily infusion that we have to have, 
right? And I'm not saying that you have to necessarily just open this thing up and begin reading in order to do that. I mean, I, I'm speaking scriptures in my car. I'm, I mean, I've got lists of scriptures, that, like new ones that I like to memorize that I'll write down and I'll just be speaking those and I'll just be meditating on those things just like what God was telling Joshua to do. And I'm telling you, man, I know what this thing's talking about because it's in those moments. It's like I can feel God doing something in my innermost parts, places that no one else and nothing else can get to. And that word of God, it's like it's really operating on me. Um, it's really in an operable sense in my life. And oh my gosh, how much do I need that? Just like Jesus said in John 15, 3, he said, if you abide in me, then my words will abide in you, right? And as we stay in that consistent mode and process of letting him fill us up like that and, and being with him, that his words that are poured into us, they stay with us and they, they establish themselves in us. And they can begin to flow out of us in different ways and in different times whenever we need it. And that word stays operable. Here's what I would say is a great myth, okay? This is me saying this. And I would say that I would challenge you to refute this, okay? But it doesn't specifically quote it this way in the Bible. But I cannot see how any person could grow in a giant, to become a giant in their faith without steadily feasting upon this written word. I don't see how it's possible. I don't think you can go sit under enough sermons. I don't think you can listen to enough podcasts. I don't think you can, I don't think you can do enough of all of that. I think that if you endeavor to become a giant in your faith, knowing that God wants to do great and mighty things through you that require your faith to grow. You've got to become a person that feasts upon this written word. In fact, Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so as this truth begins to be poured into us, then the faith that we need, it begins to grow and it begins to build. The direct response of the truth of God according to his word being filled into us, the direct response is that our faith is consistently increased as well. And that is something that you and I would need, right? You know, we have to get a great sense and a great respect and a great reverence for what this word really is. I mean, this thing, it's, it's alive, it's alive, right, Igor? I mean, it is alive. We, ha I mean, as a pastor, a shepherd to a flock, if I don't plead and, and contend for the reverence and the respect and the hunger and the craving for this thing, I have failed you. I have failed you. And any pastor, I would say, is such the calling. We have got to get people to grasp, and not just where they agree, but to where they themselves have an appetite and a hunger to receive and to feast upon this written word so that the things of God can continue to be poured into them, their faith can grow, and spiritually they can be sustained in optimal ways beyond what anything else can do or provide. Let they never grow weary or lack in their times of need. I want to show you this video to wrap things up, and the team can come up when we play this but you know we we tend because we have it so good here in this country 
that it's, it would be, it's easy to sort of just take things like this for granted, you know. But did you know that for thousands, hundreds of years in the, in the beginning stages of the church, that you, people in congregations and societies, they didn't even have access to this thing. That a lot of the so-called experts in the church, they didn't even believe that people themselves were capable of their own revelation. They didn't need this. They were locked out of it. It was a crime if they were caught with the possession. Of, but I mean, they couldn't even get it. But if they would have been, it would have been a crime. But, but we know that as time moved on and this word got transferred into different languages, in many countries, it's considered a crime punishable by death to even be caught with a Bible. Think of the links that people have gone through, our ancestors and beyond, to be able to feast upon this thing that you and I have sitting at our dinner table every day when we wake up. That's, that's a powerful thing, right? And we should just, we should see that and we should just have that sense of reverence and appreciation and respect for that.